I'm going to ask a very simple question. Uh, how many of you were around in the 60s? Okay, well, raise your hand. Okay, that's not too bad. Uh, that's a long time ago. I think a lot of you <laughs> probably weren't even born, right? So that's at least half the room. Uh, I, um, I was born in the 50s, but grew up in the 60s and the 70s. So some of my uh, first memories are recorded in my memory banks from the 60s. Uh, and there were good times, there were bad times. And one of the more significant ones, I could remember I was at a Chinese banquet. And it was some relative's uh, uh, birthday, and we were sitting in a restaurant, and this was in 1969. And then they actually had TVs on, in the restaurant, and they were all turned to the attention of the lunar landing, right? So when Neil Armstrong made his first step on the moon, and he said those words, you know, one step, uh, one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind. We were there at a restaurant holding our breath, watching him do that. Another significant moment was um, a more sad one. I remember I was in kindergarten, and our kindergarten teacher got a call from the principal's office. And that's not usually a good thing. When the teacher gets a call from the office, usually it means some students got to go report to the office. But after she had that call, and this was 1963, she was holding back tears. And she announced to the class that the president of the United States had been assassinated. And that school was dismissed. So that was a sad moment. And again, as a young child, a couple of those memories are forever um, etched in my mind. And there's another time when I, 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 I remembered as a child, and it was kind of one of those fun times. Uh, I, as you know, I have only one sibling. I have a brother, so I didn't really grow up with any sisters. I grew up with a lot of cousins. I have a lot of girl cousins. And they, for me, were like my older and younger sisters, and they, they were cool kids. Uh, my girl cousins were uh, in the in crowd. I like hanging around them because when I hung around them, I felt cool because it was more important that my girl cousins always had a lot of cool guys around, her, uh, around them. And so that was kind of a neat thing to be able to hang around the cool guys back in San Francisco. And, and so we did things together. I loved think, doing things with my girl cousins. And one thing they asked me to do, and I was probably only eight or eight years old, they asked if, if I wanted to go see a movie with them. So it, this was probably about 1965, 66, around there. Went to the movie theater. It's black and white. And it was a, a movie called A Hard Day's Night. And it was essentially a, a, a movie that this... A brand new British invasion band, the Beatles, had a movie. And I was sitting there as an eight-year-old in a movie theater looking at a screen, and I'm hearing all these girls around me screaming when the Beatles were singing, yeah, 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 right? That, that, that song, Love You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And I could understand why all these girls were just screaming at these four British band members. Well, that was significant uh, happening in, in world events. That British band, the Beatles, changed the music uh, industry forever. 
Well, 1967, the Beatles released a song called All You Need Is Love. And it was written by um, John Lennon. And when John Lennon wrote that song, it was for the purpose. The Beatles were commissioned by the British government to write a song for apparently this worldwide uh, television event. And they were commissioned to, to, to write up a song that had a very simple message that everybody could understand. Their band manager, Brian Epstein, said this. It was an inspired song, and they really wanted to give the world a message. The nice thing about it is that it cannot be misinterpreted. It is a clear message saying that love is everything. And that message from the Beatles was an appropriate uh, message for that particular time. In the 60s, it was very chaotic. Those of us who grew up then remember there was a lot of anti-war protest. In San Francisco, at San Francisco State, even here at Cal Berkeley at Sproul Plaza, those were the days of a lot of anti-war um, protests. And civil rights, too. There was a civil rights movement that was going through the, the country. There was a lot of raised fists at that particular time and a lot of people discovering their identities, whether they were black, Hispanic, or Asian. Well, if we turn back the clock, if we turn the clock back 2,000 years to a time that was not so much different. There was a lot of political and religious wars. There was a lot of class strife. There was a lot of racial uh, hatred. And there was a man, a God-man, a person named Jesus, who came and he also had a message of love. And he said to love God and to love your neighbor. One of his disciples, another person named John, he also wrote about this love. And he wrote it in one of the Gospels, and he also wrote it in three letters of the New Testament. John repeatedly wrote about love and to love one another. Now, currently, we're in a series called The Hero's Journey. So each week, we look at a particular person in the Bible who lives out or tells us about values that we want to live out here at Christian Layman Church. At Christian Layman Church, we have 10 core values, and each week we try to find a person in the Bible who, who kind of tells us about it or gives it out in his life. And, and this week, we're going to look at, at John, and John gives us through his writings, particularly in the book of John, one of the Gospels, he gives us three values, and these three values, if we live them out as a community, helps us to be a thriving community. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John 15. It's one of my favorite passages. It's John 15, verses 12 through 17. And in this passage, we'll see one of the core values talked about. And that is, love means being relational. And it's being relational like we are friends. Verse 12 from John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So if you... Look at those particular verses. They're kind of sandwiched between the command, love 
one another, right? In verse 12 and in verse 17, there's the command to love each other. Sandwiches, everything in between. And using the example of himself, Jesus tells his disciples how they are to love each other. They are to love each other as he loved them. So he gives them his example as a way to love. And, and this was profound, because you have to remember, these are 12 men that came from different places, right? It was a motley crew of fishermen, fishermen, uh, farmers, of uh, tax collectors. They probably weren't familiar with each other, but now they were called together to be a band of 12 and be able to work together. But you know the stories, we've seen them all throughout the Gospels, they didn't always get along. There was a lot of bickering between them. They always were wanting to know who was better than the other guy, right? And whenever they went on, on, on these uh, mission tasks, they would kind of complain to each other, I'm tired, or why do we have to go do that? So there wasn't a fun group of people. And that's kind of normal. We would expect that. In your own experiences, if you got 12 strange people, bunched them together, and then asked them to, to behave... Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But to them, Jesus says to love one another, to love each other. And what Jesus says in these verses is actually kind of radical. If you really think about it, what he asked these disciples to do was radical for today, but especially for those days then. One of the things he says here that, <clears throat> that's interesting, he says, you know, a, a, a friend will lay down his life for another person. And, and, and I don't know, that's pretty hard to do. And I imagine it was pretty hard back then, but it's pretty hard to do that now. But that's what Jesus is asking them. And you have to remember, in, the, in biblical times, when somebody was affluent, somebody who was having a really good life, they were viewed that they had um, uh, the blessing of God. So somebody who was uh, living the good life, having all the nice stuff in life, they were considered blessed. And then the concept of sacrifice, of, uh, of giving up things, was totally foreign to that time period. Because they would think, that doesn't mean you're living right. You're not uh, following God's will if you were sacrificing. So when Jesus says to sacrifice, this was mind-blowing to, to the people at that time. But that's exactly what he said, is that, you sacrifice that at least you would have a mutual love for one another. It isn't every man for himself. And then also, during that time, uh, teacher-student relationships is kind of maybe a little bit different than nowadays. Maybe there's a little bit less respect now for teachers. But back then, a teacher-student relationship is actually almost like master and servant. It's, it's that kind of relationship where the, 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 the teacher is like the all all authority in a student's life. But here, to these, to these disciples, Jesus says, you are no longer my servants. You are my friends. So he actually flips it around. So these who are his followers, his students, he's a rabbi, he's their master, but he says, that's all changed. I'm flipping it around, and you are now my friends. And, you know, the difference between a servant and a friend, servants serve out of authority. Friends will serve one another 
other relationship. That's a key difference. And, and, and something else that, that Jesus points out here is that he, he chose the disciples. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that was actually different from that particular time. Students in those days would choose who they would be their teacher. They would go and, and, and do the research and then pick out which teacher they felt was going to be the best one, and then they would go follow them. So they actually chose who their teacher were, was going to be. Here Jesus says, no, that didn't happen. I actually went to you, and I, and I chose you. Again, a very radical concept in those days. Actually, it's not much different. I mean, I guess it was uh, college started up for some of you. A lot of you actually chose the colleges you wanted to apply to. So that concept of someone else picking you is not always the case. But Jesus says, I chose you. And, and he chose them and he gave them a particular purpose. And he says here in these verses that, that whatever you ask of, the, of God, I will give it to you. If it helps you achieve the fruit that I want you to bear. So that's kind of a key caveat that you can ask anything. And if it's to help you achieve your mission in life that God has given to you, then God will give it to you. So here, I just want to repeat that these verses are talking about some radical things to the disciples. And so maybe for us, some of those things may still be kind of radical for us. Now, have you ever been hurt? Right? If, if love is to be relational, relationships can be messy. And so when some of us get into relationships, we can get hurt. So I ask the question, have you been hurt before? Have you been insulted or disrespected? Have people tried to threaten you, harm you, take advantage of you? Have you had anyone try to commit a crime against you? Well, for some of us here, you know, I'm not even talking about relationships with strangers. Some of our closest friends and even some of our closest family members have hurt us dearly, too. Having relationships is messy. It's being vulnerable. And being hurt and disappointed kind of, com- kind of comes par for the course in relationships. But Jesus calls us to love each other, to engage with each other relationally. Now, my, my story about uh, uh, my early days, and, and, and I have this kind of fear of relationships, because... Uh, Remember I said uh, I hung out with a lot of my, my girl cousins who were cool, and I was not cool. Uh, I, I'm uh, naturally an introvert, so I've told stories where when I was young, people thought I was mute because I didn't really speak until I was maybe three years old. I was so quiet. Um, during uh, the growing up years, uh, I was scrawny. I guess I'm still scrawny. But uh, I'm scrawny, and, and, and uh, you know, for a guy to have uh, uh, braces, uh, be called the four eyes, and, and also have uh, acne is like a triple curse, right? So, uh, so being popular was not my thing, and, and, and uh, being a loner was actually more comfortable. And, and it wasn't until when I was in, in junior high, I met this guy. And so he was like the complete opposite of me. 
he, he was a stud. He was a good-looking, popular. He was very talented. He could play the piano. Uh, he was classically trained, but he could play any song, especially R&B, just by ear. He just he hear it, he can play it. Very popular guy. Um, he, he loved to play tennis. He bowled really well. Some odd sports, but he was good at them. But for whatever reason, he asked me to be his friend. And this guy's name was Chris. And, uh, and I think one thing he, he liked about me, because I was actually smarter than him. So I guess he needed somebody to study with and help him with projects and stuff. So he was smart, and I was smarter. So I didn't say he wasn't intelligent himself, but I was just smarter. So he noticed that, and he asked me to study with him. But then besides that, he would ask me to go out to eat, and then uh, if we wanted to go bowling or go play tennis. And so he became a friend of mine. And, and I always felt appreciative of that, that he could have picked anybody. And, and being a guy who was really quiet, a person who was essentially a nerd, he actually picked me to be his friend. And I, I've always appreciated that. And, and when, we, when we were in high school, he had a car, and I didn't have a car. So that was kind of cool, too. So he would, he would take me to school. We would go to outings. We'd travel different places in the Bay Area. Back in those days, being from San Francisco, it was very provincial. You kind of stayed there. So to cross the bridge was kind of a cool thing. And so we actually would go out to some place out in the sticks called Concord <laughs> and actually go uh, to, to where it was warmer and during the summer times. But my friend Chris would do that. And this was my way of, uh, of, of just learning what life was about, and it was through a good friend of mine. And that was a life-changing experience for me, to have a good friend. Unfortunately, uh, Chris passed away at a young age. We both went to Cal and continued, and we both became dentists. And, but he died with a cancer at 36. So sad, but he was all those years, we were like best buds. Now, do you long to have friends? That's, I think everybody would answer yes. It starts by being relational. But it does mean living life together. And when we live life together, sometimes... Life can be messy. Uh, here at Christian Layman Church, a lot of us enc- encourage one another to, to join home groups. And I think one of my home group is, I've been part of many home groups, but my current home group is, is one of the more special ones for me. I think I have a picture of my home group at one of our retreats at a fun time that we had. All right. So there, there we are, acting out as uh, characters from The Lord of the Rings. You know, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies, too, because it's a great. It's about a bunch of, again, a bunch of motley crew people, you know, elves, dwarfs, and hobbits, and they come all together, and they become the fellowship, right? The fellowship of the rings. And, and there we are, dressed up as the characters. And in some ways, it's actually kind of a metaphor of, of our life together. That, yeah, do we fight? Yeah, we argue, and we, but we also have some fun times, and a lot of times it's around food. Uh, we've been able to vacation together, uh, and we've been able to just enjoy celebrating each other's anniversaries and birthdays. And that's what, what, what friends should do. And that's what it means about relating. It got, it's about knowing each other. It's walking together in life, side by side. But you know, 
life isn't always like that. So even with that group, we rejoice together, right? Being friends at the end of a long work day and then rushing to, to one of the members' house to, who just arrived back from overseas just to celebrate their adoption of a long-awaited daughter. And that's what friends do. Friends also go and, and clean and prepare food for someone in the group who's been in the hospital for three weeks. And that's what friends do. Friends also uh, are those who, who rush to the hospital after getting a call and, and hearing that their child is dying and rushing to go pray for them that when I arrive, their child has died. Those are the things that friends do. We mourn together and we rejoice together. Life has its ups and downs, and to have people you can call friends makes it so much better. So that's my challenge for all of us this morning, is to go and be relational. Meet someone new, and maybe you can be their Chris in their lives. Love means being intergenerational, and that's the second value we're going to look at today, that uh, here at Christian Layman Church, we want to be intergenerational, and love means being intergenerational like a family. John 19, John writes in chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalena. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here, this is a picture. Jesus is dying on the cross, and there he's seeing below him these women who are sobbing and grieving, and one of those women is his mother. And just totally in control, Jesus is aware of that. He sees his mother grieving, and and he knows he can't care for her anymore. And so he turns to, to one of his favorite disciples, and this is the one that's called the one that he loved, and a lot of us, or a lot of scholars, understand that to be the disciple John who's writing this gospel, that it's John who he's referring to. He tells John, woman, or he tells Mary, this, this woman is your, your uh, the son, or this uh, John will be now your son, and that Mary now, you will be the mother of John. So that he's kind of introducing them into a new role that they will be family. And you have to understand that, that most of Jesus' family is back in Galilee. So he doesn't really have anybody here in Jerusalem to, to help, help his mother. So he actually engages with, with uh, John to be the new son to take care of Mary. And that's kind of the thing here at Christian Layman Church, is that when we are part of this church, we are part of a new spiritual family. That we have a lot of new... Uh, mothers and fathers here. We have a lot more brothers and sisters, uncles and aunties, and, and sons and daughters. And that's kind of a cool thing. It's a really neat thing to have a family that actually cares for you in a spiritual sense. I've uh, had the, you know, the honor and opportunity to, to last couple of years have a certain time of the year where I spend time with the seniors. And uh, they're older than me, so they have much more wisdom than I do, and I love hanging out with them, and we study the Bible together, 
And uh, that's one of my gifts is to, to make the Bible alive. And, and I enjoy my time with them, teaching them and sharing with them. And they also share things with me. But I also will, out of love, I, I'll say this out of love, you know, with seniors, they don't hear really well. So I have to make sure I speak loud enough or sit in the right place where they can hear me. They, they process things a little slower, so that could be frustrating sometimes when, when uh, you're going through a passage. It, I can't go as fast as I would want to. But that's okay. You know, I, I care for them. I, I love them. And, and I understand that. But that's what being relational, what that means about in being intergenerational is that you have to understand where the other people are and then to care for them. Uh, I've had also the opportunity to go camping. That's one of the things I've learned to love. And actually, I, I have a mission in life to make other people like to enjoy camping. And, and I know I uh, years ago invited Pastor Andrew, and he, he enjoys camping now, in particular in Yosemite. So now I think he's inviting some of you to go join him. So he's, he's a convert, one of my new disciples in camping. And, and this past summer, we brought a, uh, uh, another family, the Kanashiros, and, and I'm trying to convert them. <laughs> but camping is a, a fun thing because when you go camping, it's all about being relational. Uh, a couple years back, I brought up some college students, and it was a great time to hang out with that, that generation and just to talk to them and, and just to allow them to get to know us and for me to know them. You know, things we talk about is just life and, and you know, dating and marriage and and those kind of real questions that sometimes you don't get an opportunity to talk about on a given Sunday. But hanging out with people camping, college students, that was fun. Um, another thing I love to do is play basketball. And essentially, basketball is a game that everybody can play. At least with the people that I play with, we have that attitude. Whether you're a small child, just like uh, Lucas Atai, right? He comes out and plays, have fun playing with him. And then even with, with older guys or even with the teens and the college students, it's a game that kind of covers all, all ages. And it's another opportunity that you can be relational because basketball is a game where you do play, but what's enjoyable about basketball is the time right afterwards where you kind of talk story and, and brag and, and talk trash to each other, but you also get to talk about what's about life at those opportunities. But you know, a lot of times, uh, trying to be relational and trying to be intergenerational, there are barriers to that. There are things that within ourselves or things outside of ourselves that kind of causes us to be hesitant to do that. Uh, a lot of times, differences between people often are barriers that prevent us from relating. They can be social and economical, it could be ethnicity, it could be race, it could be politics, education. And of course, one of the things that is a barrier is actually age difference. I remember uh, talking to some of you and trying to recruit you to do mentoring. And, and, and a particular group we were trying to pressure was the college students. A lot of you have shared stories that you were actually afraid of college students, that you wouldn't know if you would be able to talk to them relevantly or, or be comfortable with them. And then on the flip side, when I asked the college students the same thing, they, they said, oh, I'm really uncomfortable because I don't know what to say to an older person. So you're actually both all thinking the same thing. And, and um, you know, it's essentially fear, being afraid, 
to relate to another person that's actually preventing you from doing that. And the disciple John actually has something to say about that. And, and he records these words from, from Jesus about fear. And it's first from 1 John verses 4 through 16 to 19. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. God loved us first so that we can then love others. And that can be a blessing to other people. And that's what Jesus is instructing us to do. If we have God in us, and if we have God's love, then there will be no fear. There will be no fear of interacting with other people. And that's what we're called to do. If we want to be a thriving community, we need to be relational. We need to be intergenerational. And the third thing, that love as a core value here at Christian Layman Church means that we will be uh, like teams, that we will work together in teams. And we get this from John 19, verses 38 to 42. It's a passage that I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago when I talked about the life of Nicodemus. I bring it up to again. Uh, I didn't mention this as a point that week, but I'm going to bring it up as a point this week. It's a story where Jesus has already died on a cross and his body is, needs to be prepared for burial. And there's two people. Uh, in verse 38, we see Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a disciple, or now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. The scripture continues on and talks about them uh, burying him in a tomb, burying Jesus in a tomb. Now, you have to understand, this is a very difficult task. It's not something that that someone can actually do by themselves. It's a lot of work. It's very expensive. And so they are both bearing the cost of this. But it was also risky for these two men to do this because they were essentially identifying themselves with Jesus, who had just been crucified. So the, the authorities looking upon them would say, well, these must be followers of Jesus. And, and doing so, these two men could actually be persecuted and martyred themselves for for doing this act. And then it says here in the scripture that Joseph actually was kind of trying to be secretive of discipleship to follow Jesus and, and said he did this in secret. And then Nicodemus came in the middle of the night so he would kind of avoid the attention of his peers. But here, they threw that out. They abandoned their, their safety and, and did something very public when it was to prepare Jesus' body for burial and then to bury him. But the, what's to note here is that when God calls us to do something very difficult, especially in his name, he doesn't expect us to do it alone. And you see Joseph and Nicodemus doing this together. They're doing it as a team so that they could support one another, encourage one another, and also be less fearful as they did it together. 
I, I want to do something here that's kind of an illustration to that point. Here's a chair. I need a, a volunteer. <laughs> Since I'm looking at you, and I know you probably won't get hurt. <laughs> I hope not. I'm going to sit in this chair, and I need you to pick me up. So actually, yeah, with the chair. So it's going to be hard. I'm not that heavy, so you're fortunate that way. So if you just lift me up. But if it's too hard, okay. That's actually pretty good. So why don't you come again, and then I'll get another strong guy, maybe one of you guys. (laughs) Oh, okay. I need, I need another volunteer, somebody to help Michael here. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Quest could do it by himself. Quest, come here. Oh, no, no, okay. Quest and Art and Michael, you all can do it. Don't make it easier. Go ahead. Just make it easier. Just lift me up. So it should demonstrate that it's a lot easier, right, with... See, so much easier, right? Thank you, put me down. <laughs> Thank you. So, that essentially demonstrates it does make tasks a lot easier when we work in teams, right? And, and it doesn't make it uh, easier in some sense because there is a relational element, but actually going through it, God wants us to do things in teams. You know, Jesus is wise. He sent his disciples out two by two. He didn't want us to go out by ourselves. And there, uh, we saw just by that illustration that it was very important to do that. Now, working in teams doesn't mean we're weak. And some people say, I can do it all by myself. I don't need anybody else. But a lot of times, I think it's actually more humbling when we actually admit our weaknesses and that we do need help. And more especially because through our weakness, God can demonstrate his power. And then also, when we admit our weaknesses and we work in teams, it's not because I'm weak and not capable. I'm actually allowing someone else to use their gift and to be able to shine in their abilities that God has given to them. So there's a mutual, actually, affirmation when we work in teams. It's not about me. It's about us together. When we uh, go camping, it's very important that we work together. It's important that we learn to cook the meals, to clean the camp, to, to go out on, 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 when we go out on little trips, of side trips, that we, someone leads, someone takes care of the trailers, uh, those who are trailing behind. There is teamwork when we go camping. And this, this was important, too, because I, I, I was trying to put the tent back up by myself, and it's always hard to get it to fit back into the packaging, into the, into the carrier bag. And I could hardly ever do it by myself, but this past trip, uh, one of the guys helped me, and together, we actually put everything back in, and that was amazing for me. And that was, again, just a demonstration. When we work together, we can do things better than we can do by ourselves. And this coming week, we'll have a demonstration where the Christian journey is not about individuals. The Christian journey is about going together and living our faith together as a community. 
this coming weekend, we have the follow-up to our eye screening. We, we have the dispensing of the glasses. And we do that not as individuals, but we do it as a community. And that's a continuation of what happened in July, and we get to deliver those glasses. But again, that's another opportunity for our church to work as teams, to be relational and intergenerational, to be able to demonstrate something that's very powerful that the world needs to see. And that leads me to this point. Why do we do this? Why does Jesus want his community to love one another? He says this, loving one another leads to a thriving community, and it's an attractive witness to the world. The world needs to see this loving of one another. People in the world are are watching us. They are seeing if we really are changed by our faith. That having Jesus in us makes a difference. And whether we are transformed people. And if we do, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we will be transformed so that we will be able to love one another. I've kind of used a lot of words to try to kind of color what this, what this love is. Being relational, about being intergenerational, and also being... Uh, working in teams. I, I have a video because some of you are more visual learners and sometimes you need a little tug on the heart. So we're going to look at a, a video here. It's from a Thai insurance company, but it, it's kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to get across this morning. The Apostle John wrote these words in chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, if you've been following what's happening in the news lately, what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri, and the conflict in Iraq, wouldn't it be a better world if there was more love being demonstrated to one another than force and power? What if love was used instead? There's a favorite quote from Napoleon, who, Napoleon Bonaparte, who is a great military leader that's one of my favorites, and it's about the power of love. Napoleon said this, at the end of his reign, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. You know, there's this uh, response from a, a denomination that I respect a lot. Um, it's a quote from their president, 
Gary Walter, the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's just fresh off the press, came off yesterday. And he talks about the role of the church, and especially in light of what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri. Gary Walter writes this, Even as we stumble and bumble, we can more and more demonstrate a community the world longs for, but is afraid it's not possible. We can show that in Christ it actually is. A fallen world will continue to fall. It is the potent strategy of the enemy to, to separate. But in the grace and strength of Christ, we can press forward against all powers and principalities to a different hope and new reality. But going forward, we will best be God's agents as our hearts remain pliable to seeing things more clearly, feeling things more deeply, and acting more resolutely. That happens when we continue to call out the best in one another and walk with one another into the harsh realities of a fallen world. Yes, we're in it together. In the words of John Lennon, love is all you need. And in the words recorded by the Apostle John, by this all men will know you are my disciples. I'm actually going to ask the uh, praise to come up now to prepare for the response song. And I'm going to finish my message by saying that all these words about loving one another that Jesus is talking about comes from the Gospel of John. And if you are familiar or not familiar, it was a time when Jesus was going to be betrayed uh, the next day. And he gathered his disciples that were close to him, and he was having an intimate moment with them. He was having a last meal, and he was sharing from his heart everything that he wanted to pass on to his disciples. But before they, they actually heard his words of loving one another, you know what Jesus did? He actually went on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. And by that, he was demonstrating the kind of love that he wanted the disciples to, to follow. And later he hears words, as I have loved you, love others or love each other. And it is with that kind of attitude of servanthood that Jesus was speaking about. The church is the hope for the world. It's not with clenched fists that we go into the world, but with open hands. And it's with open hand that we serve just like Jesus did on our hands and our feet. So we pray that we will be able to learn that lesson too. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for helping us to be relational, helping us to be intergenerational, and helping us to work in teams. We pray that you continue to be blessed by our efforts, and you continue to help us to understand your love so that we can respond to others with your love that comes through us. So I thank you, and I am blessed by the name of Jesus, who loved us so that we could love others. We thank you in his name.